From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, July 4th. The pool in the summertime, right in the center of town. It's a place to relax, cool off, send the kids on summer break. For a local family of six, you can have a full day at Moab's pool for 15 bucks. But that's likely to change soon enough. That's because the Moab Recreation and Aquatic Center operates at a significant deficit. A new feasibility study found that in the next decade, the center will have a negative fund balance of $6.9 million. That's if they don't make any adjustments to fees. Marcus Lee conducted the study. He's with an outside financial advisory firm. Along with the Parks Department, he says a 10% fee increase would be reasonable to help offset that deficit without burdening locals. Uh, We don't want to price people out. We don't want to make the rec center inaccessible for residents or visitors. So we're trying to balance the need of new revenue to sustain operations with periodic updates to the fee schedule. A large portion of the Rec and Aquatic Center's expenses go to operations and maintenance, like the upkeep of the pool, gym equipment, and employee wages. They're also looking at necessary but expensive capital improvement projects, so a 10% rate increase would not be enough to eliminate the deficit. To do that, fees would need to increase at least 63% over the next 10 years, which would be unpopular with residents. Lee says it's common for Utah's public rec centers to rely on a large subsidy from local government. That's because they simply cost much more to operate than they generate in revenue. In 2019, Moab's rec center cost over $1 million to operate, but brought in about half that. So it's not a unique thing for the Moab rec center to operate at a deficit. They are a public service. The feasibility study did not consider recreation, arts, and parks tax funding to offset the deficit. The city has $320,000 to spend internally from roughly one year of collecting the RAP tax. It's unclear if some of those dollars will be used to subsidize the Rec and Aquatic Center. A 10% rate increase means that a family of six will pay $16.50 for a day at the pool instead of $15. The Parks Department will return to the council with their fee increase proposal in a future meeting. After the Health and Building Departments raised concerns, county planners are backing off from temporarily permitting workforce camping. Planners had identified a so-called temporary dwelling permit as one path to legitimize long-term camping in residential zones. This type of camping is something locals with limited housing options are already doing, but it remains illegal under county code. Grand County's Planning Commission Chair Emily Campbell told her colleagues last week that temporary dwelling permits are now on pause after the health department shared concerns about waste management. If we were going to allow RVs or camp trailers or camper vans to not hook up to utilities and somehow follow the rules of the health department by setting some kind of um, schedule up for dumping and taking care of their waste. They just saw that as kind of opening a can of worms in terms of monitoring and keeping track of all of that. Squaring health and safety code with new solutions to counter the displacement and disenfranchisement of vulnerable locals 
has proved challenging for Grand County. As reported in the Moab Sun News, ideas like parking lots for van lifers or RV camp parks for local workers have been raised many times over the last several years. But those ideas didn't really gain traction until this spring. That's when the county issued a compliance order to a group of guides living in RVs and other vehicles on a piece of private property. The county received complaints and told property owners to get into compliance by June 30th. The county was then met with some public backlash for enforcing their no camping code. Those at risk of displacement are all local workers in the tourism industry with guide company Navtech. Their deadline to get into compliance has now been extended until the end of October. That's the county's plan right now, deadline extensions. They're trying to figure out a way for these guides and others to legally and safely stay on private property. And instead of fast-tracking temporary dwelling permits, the county is trying to codify long-term residential camping zones. So that would actually entail requiring a higher standard of development where we wouldn't be allowing porta-potties or water storage um, on site. We would be requiring those property owners, if they were going to develop a long-term camp park, to actually pay for the impact fee to hook up to uh, ground water and sewer and all of that. Planning Chair Campbell says despite this pivot, in her opinion, county departments are aligned around, quote, necessary and critical outcomes related to housing for locals. Those outcomes include providing solutions for people who are displaced from their housing, solutions for people who find themselves unable to purchase or access sort of traditional housing. A residential campground zone needs to be solid to pass the county commission and get support from local businesses who would be tasked with updating their properties. Otherwise, people who are living and working and camping in Grand County are still in a vulnerable position. Planning Commissioner Tony Mancuso. I think people deserve a little bit of certainty. However much certainty we're able to give them, I think it's the right thing to do. For now, at least, the guides at Navtech can continue to camp on private property while the county works on its code. We are once again in an election year, and several states, including Utah and Colorado, have just wrapped up their primaries. Both these states are two of eight nationwide that use all mail-in voting in their elections. But all states offer some form of mail-in ballots. The process has come under scrutiny since former President Donald Trump accused the system of being rife with fraud. This has been debunked by election officials and is the subject of a new documentary that looks at how Colorado has led the way in secure voting by mail. From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Maeve Conran has more. Never expected to have to be fact-checking the White House. That's Amber McReynolds speaking in a new documentary, Democracy versus the Big Lie, the truth behind mail-in voting. Colorado-based McReynolds is one of the country's leading experts on voting by mail, something she says dates back to the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln wanted to ensure that soldiers could vote uh, when they were serving away from their homes during the election. And so that's really how mail-in voting started in this country. McReynolds is the former director of elections for the city and county of Denver. And while there, she helped shape Colorado's all-mail-in voting strategy. 
She then went on to lead the National Vote at Home Institute. She's now working on mail-in voting at a federal level as one of nine governors and the only female governor of the U.S. Postal Service. We also were drug in to the big lie and a lot of the mis and disinfo about mail-in voting also was targeting the Postal Service in 2020. And so our infrastructure is very important in, in addressing those issues and 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 moving forward and educating the public on the process and how we process mail through the Postal Service, utilize things like ballot tracking. Um, and then, you know, also something that I think the public doesn't always uh, understand is we have our own inspector general. So we have an inspector general that will look into every single allegation regarding any of these issues. In fact, they put up various reports recently that demonstrated some of the lies that were being spread about mail-in voting after 2020 were in fact false, and they proved that through their investigations. Uh, We also have an inspection service that uh, takes very seriously any crimes involving the mail and investigate those. McReynolds says mail-in voting is secure on several levels, one being the accuracy of the voter rolls. And states that have had uh, mail-in voting in an expanded use for a long time actually have the cleanest voter files because they are regularly interacting with voters, whether that be through the National Change of Address database that the Postal Service offers or by this interaction through the mail stream that happens more frequently in states that use mail-in ballots more often. Another measure of security originated in the Denver Elections Office 12 years ago. We created a technology called ballot tracking, and it was the first in the world, not only the first in the nation, but the first in the world to track a ballot through the entire process, through the mail stream, outbound, inbound, and then uh, all the way through the verification steps. And that was created in Denver in 2010. Um, rolled out, and many states have now adopted that technology, and it provides transparency and security of the mail-in ballot process. McReynolds is featured in a new documentary, Democracy versus the Big Lie, The Truth Behind Mail-In Voting, that was made with support from the Colorado Film Commission. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Maeve Conran. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, July 4th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.